Well, we are going to look into the story of Joseph, and uh, let me say a quick prayer for us before we do, all right? And Lord, we thank you for what we've just heard. We thank you for putting people in your church who have the wisdom of experience. And Lord, help us to be humble and teachable and not only willing to learn, but seeking it out. And Lord, may that be true of our hearts now as we look into the story of this young man and continue following him. Lord, uh, speak to us through your spirit and open our eyes now to the truth, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or a device, go to Genesis 39, and uh, I'm going to give like a turbo sermon uh, today as we continue our um, exploration of the life of this young man, Joseph. And as we do, we're going to note there is much in his story that relates to us, dads, so let's uh, pay particular attention. Last weekend, we left a confused Joseph riding down a a, a bumpy road with a caravan of merchants heading down to Egypt. Remember that? He was sold to them by his hateful and vengeful brothers. And so we're going to pick up his story now in Genesis chapter 39. Listen as I read, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. You might want to underline that or note that. The Lord was with him. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So Joseph's got it all taken care of. I can just worry about dinner. That's basically what his attitude was. So here, what what we're seeing is what appears to be another change in the fortunes of Joseph, from favored son living at home to hated brother to human property being sold as a slave, but now being elevated, being promoted to the position of chief steward in Potiphar's household, entrusted with managing his entire estate. So things have turned around for him, right? Things are looking up. Well, let's see. Let me, let me continue. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. Even he is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Yikes. A neglected, lonely, bored housewife on the prowl right there in her own house. Not just any old wife, but a woman with some clout, Potiphar's wife, looking to hook up with this young Hebrew hunk that her husband had brought into the home. 
She's got Joseph in her crosshairs, and she's determined, bound and determined, to spice up her life by capturing his affections. So far, he's doing good. He's resisting. But will he eventually wilt in the heat of her daily enticements? Let's find out. Verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, uh uh-oh, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household, so they must have been in another part of the house, and said to them, See, he, speaking of her husband, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, or literally to make sport of us, or mock us. He came in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice, and as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment here beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master, her husband, came home. And she told him the same story, and it was a story, wasn't it? Saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Wow, well, you've got to know that a spurned woman can be flat-out vicious. <laughs> and so she's humiliated and shamed by Joseph's rejection of her advances, and her heart now turns against Joseph, and she aims to make him pay by crying rape, first to the other attendants in the house, then to her husband Potiphar when he came home. And you can really hear the disdain that she has for her husband, can't you? The servant whom you brought among us came into me to laugh or make fun of me or mock me. So Potiphar finds himself in a dilemma. I mean, who likes to be in a lose-lose situation? And that's the situation he finds himself in. And it says in verse 19, as soon as Joseph's master, this is Potiphar, heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. His anger flares up. It doesn't specify towards whom his anger was directed, but many commentators believe that it was aimed as much at his his own wife as it was at Joseph. Maybe even more so. Remember, Joseph was the guy who was making his life easy these days. He'd proven himself to be a trustworthy steward in his household. He'd been managing all of his affairs towards prosperity. The thought of losing Joseph now didn't set well with him. But he also knew something else. An unhappy wife makes for an unhappy life. (laughs) And so he's in a spot. Perhaps Potiphar had some previous experience with his wife's wandering eyes. Perhaps he suspected that something was a little fishy here with her story. It doesn't tell us, but in any case, his anger flares up at being put in this no-win situation. What to do? What do I do? Joseph's alleged crime was actually worthy of death. Potiphar just can't bring himself to have his trusted chief steward executed, so he opts for a compromise of sorts, which probably didn't set well with his wife. Verse 20, it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. So he didn't have him executed. He puts him in the slammer. The place where the king's prisoners were confined, that's going to become important, and he was there in prison. 
Verse 21, sounds familiar, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. He was probably just thinking about food too. Because the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Wow, this is quite a young man, isn't it? Knock him down, and he gets back up. Push him over, and he bounces back even higher. Joseph is stubbornly resilient, and I think of that verse in Proverbs that says, A righteous man falls seven times but gets up again. That's Joseph. But you know, I think we need to step back a little bit and... and and see the bigger picture of what's going on here, because this is much more than just another rocky remake about a guy who keeps getting knocked down and keeps getting back up. There's something else going on here that we need to understand if we're going to fully appreciate this story. I see three big themes emerging in this chapter, and I hope you will too. And the first is the overseeing providence of God. We talked about this last week. You know, if Joseph's story ended here in chapter 39, we we wouldn't grasp this. But we have the remaining 11 chapters of Genesis and the rest of the Bible to clue us into the fact that it is actually God who is orchestrating these events for a much larger purpose. Joseph himself would eventually come to that same understanding. Remember from last week that He made a statement to his brothers later on when they were standing before him and he was the ruler in Egypt and they didn't recognize him and he said, you guys sold me here, yes, but don't beat yourselves up too badly because God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. Do you remember that statement in Genesis 45 verse 5? Joseph had become convinced and so should we that that the, the divine conductor was at work orchestrating events behind the scenes, weaving together these happenings in order to accomplish a greater purpose. The good of his people, even through sin and Joseph's own suffering. I imagine you noticed that God's overseeing providence, though, did not shield Joseph from trouble. Did you notice that? I mean, Joseph obeyed God, he resisted the temptation of Potiphar's wife, and yet he landed in prison, right? Falsely accused. Now, we we hear that and we think, well, that was a bad thing. And I'm sure it felt bad for Joseph. But the truth is, even in that, God was still at work orchestrating even that event for ultimate good. We're going to see that. Here's the thing to understand about God's providence. Listen, God is often willing to sacrifice present comfort for future blessing. Have you discovered that yet? (laughs) God is often willing to sacrifice our present comfort, pleasant circumstances, and easy life. He is willing to jettison that in order to accomplish future blessing later. It's one of the ways of God. God's Work in his people's lives always has a purpose, and his purpose is to bring about future blessing for them and for his own great glory. And how will that blessing come about? Well, I'll tell you what, it's through a plan. God always has a plan. Will you say that with me? 
God always has a plan. He had a plan for Joseph and accomplishing his purposes there. He's got a plan for your life, for mine. God always has a plan, and that's the second theme we see playing out here in this chapter. The overseeing providence of God is aimed at fulfilling his plan, the overarching plan of God. God has a plan. And get this, in order to fulfill God's plan, Joseph needed to be in prison. (laughs) It's true. Joseph needed to somehow get sent to prison so that at a point in the future he would meet a certain prisoner who would want to know the meaning of a dream that he had. And we already know that Joseph is very skilled at dreams, right? (laughs) Interpreting the meaning of that guy's dream would trigger a lot of other providentially orchestrated events, like dominoes falling. We're going to see that next week. It was all part of a plan. God's plan, master plan. Listen, as I said last week, God's people can trust in God's sovereignty to accomplish God's purposes in God's timing for God's glory. You find that all throughout the Bible. But you know what? In the moment, <laughs> when stuff's happening, in the moment, and you don't, when you don't see the big overarching plan, and you can't see how any good could come of what you're going through. It's hard to trust God, isn't it? I mean, when you're in it. Joseph didn't know much at all about the big plan when he was sitting on that cold, hard floor in that prison shooing rats away. What he did know is that he had obeyed God, and God didn't appear to be rewarding him for it. I thought, about us. I thought, well, maybe you're asking something similar today. Why am I going through this, God? Why am I going through what I'm facing? Other people are making decisions that are affecting me. A boss, a supervisor, a teacher, a parent, a coach. Other people are making decisions that are affecting me. I don't understand why you're not doing anything. I'm trying hard, God, to live right, to be obedient. Where's the reward? What's the deal here? You ever feel that way? How do you go about trusting God in confusing situations like these? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. My dad's favorite verses in the Bible. And we know it in our minds, but how do we put our hearts at rest, our troubled hearts at rest, and we can't figure it out from our vantage point. Where does the faith to believe that God is indeed working his plan come from? In Joseph's case, we get a clue from a particular little phrase that appears four times. The author wants us to get this. Did you see it? God was with Joseph. The presence of God. The obvious presence of of God in his life. And I say obvious because it says that others noticed this about him. Other people noticed that Joseph and God were close. Back in Potiphar's house, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then in prison later, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. He saw it. There was something unusual about this young man. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
Understand the principle here. Listen, cooperating with the plan of God requires living in the presence of God. You say, I don't understand. I want to cooperate with God's plan. Live in his presence. Near to him, close to him, because apart from that, we don't see things clearly, do we? And we default to whining and complaining and why am I here in prison? Blaming people, blaming God. Let me say this. The presence of God in a person's life is a wonderful thing. Nothing this world has to offer compares with being close to God. Have you discovered that yet? I'm talking about the nearness of God. You know, when you're, when you're driving your car down the road and you just sense like God is right there. You know what I'm talking about? Is there anything that compares to that? I don't think so. When you're experiencing the presence of God in your life, when you know and sense that God is close, you can endure anything when God is close. And note how the presence of God in Joseph's life brought blessing (laughs) to him, to all the people around him. No wonder they kept promoting him. My goodness, everything this guy touched turned to gold. Whether he was in Potiphar's house or in prison, it says the Lord made it succeed. The crops grew, the systems worked, there was harmony among the workers, the books balanced, the prisoners stayed put and didn't revolt, the prison food was delicious. (laughs) All because God was with Joseph and made everything he did prosper. Wouldn't you like to have an employee like that? You just want to keep them around because everything's flourishing when they're around. God was doing that. That's why he regularly had the favor of his superiors, why they kept promoting him. The presence of God brought the favor of God. But you know, there's another powerful effect of God's presence. God being with Joseph not only brought blessing, it empowered him to resist temptation. Oh, this is so important. It becomes very obvious in this story that it was because of the nearness of God in Joseph's life, that he was able to say no to two temptations. The temptation to abuse power, and Joseph had some power, right? He was elevated. In fact, we see this contrast of how Joseph used power and how Potiphar's wife used her clout and her power. Joseph used his power for the good of those around him, increasing their productivity, elevating them, But she used her power to try to coerce this young man to get what she wanted. But it was the presence of God that enabled Joseph to realize, you know, my power comes from God. He could take it away like that. But you know, the main temptation in this chapter, of course, is the enticement to misuse God's gift of sex, right? That's the most of the story, the temptation to misuse sex. You know, we read this story, and most men I know cannot relate much to Joseph's scenario here. I mean, if you are a man who regularly has beautiful and powerful women throwing themselves at you every day, ordering you to have sex with them, then that's your problem. Deal with it. (laughs) But Most men I know, that's not where we live, but most of us can certainly relate to the allure of sexual enticement that confronts us daily through the screens that we look at. 
on our smartphones and tablets and computers and TVs, not to mention movie screens. Temptresses abound everywhere. Isn't this right, guys? Everywhere. It's never been more accessible. No matter that those women on our screens are actually someone's daughter or someone's sister or someone's mom, I mean, we're not thinking about that when we're ensnared by the lust in our own hearts that we've too often fed by glaring at those images. Too easily and too often we give in again and again to their tantalizing promises of pleasure. You know, Joseph wasn't looking at a screen. He was looking at the real thing, right? He was a red-blooded young man, far from home, far from dad, far from his small group, far from his mentor and his accountability partner. And somehow, he managed to turn away daily from that temptation that was being offered to him. How? How? Where does deep, true, consistent, moral integrity come from? Where does it come from? Notice what he said to that seductress. He said, no, I dare not break my master's trust and I dare not commit this wicked sin against my God. And saying that, he actually fled from her presence, which, by the way, is a good strategy with sexual temptation. Run! <laughs> Run away! You say, how, how, do you, how do you beat a strong desire? Listen very carefully. The only way, the only sustainable, lasting way to beat a strong, intense desire is to let it be overcome by a stronger, more intense desire. That's the only way. Thomas Chalmers called it the expulsive power of a new affection. Let me put it on a different level. Wendy burgers seem pretty good until you go to Outback Steakhouse and have prime rib. And then you go, why would I settle for that when I have this? That's what Joseph was doing. He said, I, no, I would not trade what we have for this. A few moments of temporary sensual pleasure. You're asking me to, 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 to forfeit my nearness and closeness to my God? No way, no way. His value system determined his decision and his choice, didn't it? Let me say it again. The best fortification against sexual sin is a deep, satisfying relationship with God that is more important to you than anything else. Joseph's victory over temptation that day was not so much a pushing down or a suppressing of sexual desire as much as it was a stimulation of spiritual desire. In his heart, he was saying, I want the unbroken nearness of God more than I want a few moments of sexual pleasure. The only way to beat a strong desire is by it being overcome by, by a stronger desire. Well, we'll have to end there. We're going to have to leave Joseph in prison for now. Bummer, huh? But I can assure you, more, of it, more adventure is on the way in God's unfolding plan for saving humanity from sin. But I want to close by, by reminding you of something. Listen. One day another young man would appear on the scene. 
this one more righteous even than Joseph. This one would also face enticement from an evil and powerful tempter. The offer to experience the pleasure of kingly power without having to walk the path of betrayal and rejection and the cross. This one, this highly favored son, would also be fortified in his spirit and treasure his relationship with God so much that he would also turn away from temptation and resist. And like Joseph, he too would be unjustly accused and betrayed and arrested. But the true and better Joseph, Jesus, would suffer not just so that his family would have bread someday, but so that his brothers and sisters would have everlasting bread of life forever and dwell with he and his Father in the eternal land of promise. Jesus, the true and better Joseph, May the same God who was with Joseph and who strengthened Joseph also strengthen you and me so that we are able to say no to temptation and cling to Christ even when our circumstances are confusing and seem unfair. Amen? Amen.